This episode of the My Latin Life podcast is brought to you by Language Blend, the new best way to learn Spanish. Language Blend focuses on what you actually need to live and get by abroad with daily one-on-one lessons, a dedicated texting partner. It's like living in a Spanish-speaking country without ever leaving home. Go to languageblend.com for more information. Welcome back to another episode of the My Latin Life podcast. Since 2014, My Latin Life has been your trusted guide to traveling and living in Latin America. My guest today is a repeat guest, Kyle Trouble, aka Kyle Mao. Kyle, how's it going? Good, man. Thanks for having me back again. I appreciate it. Now, it's hard to do the intro because you've undergone a bit of a <laughs> rebranding. But Kyle here is a previous podcast guest. As I mentioned, he was episode 24, was the the first appearance. And he's the founder of Hire UA, as well as Cello Olive, a olive oil company and a sort of a VA talent outsourcing virtual assistant company as well. Uh, Longtime businessman. Kyle, how's it going? Good, man. Thanks for having me on. As you said, I kind of went through a rebrand recently. I decided to drop the whole Kyle Trouble moniker that I'd been using for nearly a decade online and use my real name. So thanks for having me back to talk about it again. Yeah, absolutely. It must have been quite the decision. Uh, I think it's kind of one of those things just in life. Like I'd kind of gotten over, you know, I, I didn't have anything else to say about dating. Um, nothing really to say about travel at this point either. Um, obviously, I've been based out in Eastern Europe since 2016 and just kind of ready to move on with the next phase of my life. I became a father last year as well and kind of just like, okay, I run a couple pretty legit businesses now and people are starting to ask some questions like, you know, what exactly is that really your last name? So it made sense to kind of change things up a little bit. Nice. Trying to go up market? Yeah, I guess so. A little more, a little less niche, a little more up market, like you said, and, you know, not I I certainly have no regrets about anything I ever wrote on the internet and don't really plan on deleting anything to be honest. But I would say, you know, that part of my life is is over. So it's time to it's time just to start anew, so to speak. It's good. I think uh I think there's value in just doing something different sometimes, you know, mixing it up. Yeah, and sometimes you just kind of have to cut that cord to the past. I think that makes it a little bit just a fresh start in a way, instead of just always kind of holding on to, you know, what was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think it's a decision that many creators out there battle with all the time. Obviously, my Latin life is a semi-anonymous thing. Pretty comfortable with that setup, but I think a lot of people battle with it that are semi-anonymous or their personality brands, and maybe they're trying to expand or whatever it is. And I, even if you remember, um, if you know Rogue Wealth on Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, we had an episode with Rogue Wealth. Uh, he lives in Venezuela, cool guy. And uh, he was kind of like on the verge of, um, and, and he was kind of one foot in telling people his real name, one foot just being rogue wealth. So people, I think people ba- battle with it a lot. I'm I'm not sure if you have any uh, thoughts or theories on uh, one versus the other or, or maybe well, it's a false dichotomy. When I first became a blogger, you know, this was back in 2016, I went all in on what at the time was a dating blog. And, you know, I had my name out there just as Kyle Trouble. And then when I quit the corporate job, I kind of wanted to burn the ship, so to speak, I wanted to make sure I didn't have a safety net to go back to. So I put my my photo out there at that point, um, and attached everything Mm -hmm. to it. So that was kind of my way of doing it. Um, Was it the smartest thing in hindsight? Maybe, maybe not. Um, Certainly there's advantages to being totally anonymous that I've given up. But I think for the most part, it depends what you want and how comfortable you are with things. But I think the one thing that I always had in the back of my mind was like, someone's going to find out about this. You know, someone who I don't want to know is going to find this. And then when you just say, I'm going to put it out there, you're kind of just owning it at that point. And you're saying, this is who I am. This is what I believe. This is what I've written. This is what I published, whatever it might be. And that's a little easier because that burden is then lifted from you. Instead of always worrying about, oh gosh, is this you know crazy person who's you know blowing up my mentions and trolling me, trying to find out who I am. You're just free of that. You're like, yep, it's all out there. <laughs> so I think in some ways, it's a little easier just to kind of relieve yourself of that burden. 
Makes sense. Did you have any crazy situations back in the day, like people trying to figure out who you were and stuff? Um, I was just in Warsaw, Poland with my company. We had a team meeting um, with 10 of us. And at the club, uh, someone came up to me and was like, you're Kyle Treble. You write the dating blog. And of course, I'm there you know, with my whole Ukrainian staff. We've got eight girls um, with us there. And I'm like, yep. And of course, the whole team's like looking at me like, wow, you're... <laughs> You were actually kind of famous at one point. I'm like, yeah, I guess in some certain circles I was. So um, no, nothing ever really crazy. I had a few people that tried to like dox my wife at one point um, over some tweet I made about like women should be staying at home and cooking lasagna or something of the sort. But other than that, haven't haven't had any too many issues. Mostly good stuff. People stopping me on the street and recognizing me and um, wanting to have a beer. So that's always cool. Sweet. So you're from California originally, if I remember yep. correctly. Yep. Um, reminding the audience as well. And you now spend most of your time in Eastern Europe. Yeah. So I moved out in 2016. I was really just kind of tired of working the corporate gig, wanted to do something different. So I bought a one-way flight out to Poland and I was there for a while. I lived in the Czech Republic for a year and a half and then ultimately settled down in Kiev, Ukraine um, since 2018. I bought some properties there and I was, of course, there when the war with Russia actually kicked off in February 2022. And now I've kind of relocated back to Poland after a year in the United States um, post-war. So that's kind of my travel life stories in a, in a nutshell there. Because mm -hmm. uh, as we mentioned, you got the two businesses, in the one in Ukraine and then one in Croatia, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah, all oil companies in Croatia. In Croatia, you mentioned Czech Republic for a while, now Poland. Uh, that's a good, that's a good mixed bag of Eastern Europe there. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to travel around quite a bit. Um, I think Ukraine was always my favorite and Poland was always like a top two as well. So it's kind of just been the places that I've settled into, but I quite enjoy life out here. Um, I'm not a fan of the weather, which is kind of the one bummer at times, but I, it's just my gig. It's, it's where I feel comfortable. It's the culture, the people, everything is, you know, just in line with who I am. So that's kind of why I've, I've settled out here. And, uh, I was kind of one of those people who's like, Oh, like coincidentally, Latin America was never really my cup of tea that I ever really wanted to settle down into. Neither mm -hmm. was Asia. So I just kind of knew from the start, like this is where home should be for me. I have this theory that nomads from California and the Southern United States prefer Eastern Europe and nomads from the Northern Northeastern United States and Canada prefer Latin America. Interesting. Just because the weather? They it's like you 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 like what's different. Like for someone from uh New York or Boston or Maine, like Eastern Europe, it's like, okay, it's the same weather, mm -hmm. except everything's weird. You know what I mean? Whereas like I, I I feel like um I feel like we want what's different. That's my theory. That's actually a pretty fair theory because I think I went to college in San Diego, which probably has maybe the best weather of anywhere in the world, to be honest. You know, it's 70 80 degrees basically year round you can wear shorts or pants any day of the year and like yeah latin america to me it's like it's hot i don't really i don't like hot weather so it's one of those things that i've just never really felt as connected to that region you're right and i went straight to the cold and the gray and the snow so it does make sense random question do you do you ever um do you remember the guy maverick traveler and do you know what happened to him because every once in a while someone asked me what happened to maverick traveler and i feel like you might know I don't know. I met him in Ukraine once and then I was walking by him one day. I want to say this is probably like 2021 and I walked by him and he was with a girl and I waved and he didn't really acknowledge me and I never saw him or heard from him again, to be honest. Is his site gone now? I think the site's gone. Yeah, the site's gone. Oh, wow. No, I don't. I don't know, man. Wow. Yeah, maybe that totally maybe gone. that's the last known sighting. The wave 2021. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> well, his site now is just basically nothing but dating articles. It looks like he sold it. Yeah, I have no idea what happened to him, man. True. Well, I think that's a good uh connect the dots for uh people who who enjoy the the lore of the old uh blogging days. Yeah, I miss Google, those days, man. <laughs> Google Connect. Yeah, I uh, hope. I, I think he has dual citizenship, if I'm not mistaken. He had both an American and a Ukrainian passport, um, so he shouldn't be stuck in Ukraine. 
So right, because he was out, he but. he was of Eastern Ukrainian ancestry. Yeah, he or was Eastern born in Odessa, ancestry. if I'm not mistaken. So yeah. That's a good one. Okay, well, we can keep moving. If you have any good old lore stories, I feel like that's always good content. But maybe like, um, maybe what what do you think would be a good next topic? Maybe we could talk about the businesses or uh, life in Eastern Eastern Europe. Yeah, let's go with life in Eastern Europe. We're just talking about that. What would you like to know? Hi, Poland. Poland's an interesting choice, I feel. Personally, maybe between the four that you had, and maybe I'd do Croatia just to be kind of on the Mediterranean and in the water and stuff. But <laughs> So I think, I mean, have you, I, I think there's a big misconception sometimes about Europe and the Mediterranean. So basically, like, oftentimes what that means is that in the summer, it's scorching hot and it's over flooded with tourists. And honestly, the winters and the fall and sometimes the spring is a slog. Like it's cold, it's rainy, it's wet. It is not like some great enjoyable experience all year. Um, that's just my opinion. But like if anyone thinks they're going to go to Europe and like get the same beach quality for the most part that they would get in a place like say Mexico, like it's just not going to happen. Um, and they become so overrun with tourists. It takes a lot of the enjoyment out. So that's my personal take on that. Um, whereas like up in like Poland, it's, it's much more moderate weather in the summer. You know, I could say we're getting the highs of, you know, maybe 35 Celsius, like 90 degrees. It cools off. It's pleasant in the evening. And then, of course, you know, the spring and the fall, of course, we have rainy, sloggy days and we get snow at points. But to me, those beach towns in Europe have never had a huge appeal. And I just find them to be such a tourist trap and just really not not all that, to be honest. Mm -hmm. What do you like about Poland? I like uh, coming from Ukraine. So Ukraine is definitely, you know, a step behind as far as development, as far as um, just many things. And I think Poland is a nice middle ground to step up from that. Um, at the same time, they are pretty traditional. They're not bending the knee to everything that the EU may want them to do. They're definitely maintaining an identity and a culture. So I appreciate that. Certainly um, very safe, very just pleasant overall, good demeanor of the people. Um, and it's, it's pretty modern. I would say like it's, you can get pretty much anything you need. Deliveries are fast, good restaurants, and just the overall vibe of, of the whole country is just very good. Yeah. I've heard good things, you know, pretty safe, pretty cheap, good, good partying, um, beautiful towns. I heard like every little five and 10,000 person town in Poland is, is like really punching above its weight class in terms of just cool architecture and se architecture setup, stuff like that. Every, pretty much all of them have some nice little square, um, which is always just very classical, very European, just a, very enjoyable simply to walk around and enjoy a nice summer evening. Um, pretty much every town in Poland that I've ever been to has had that. And it is, it's very true. It's very nice. Refilling my tea. And then, um, so where, where in Poland are you living? Are you divulging that? Um, I'm living in Wrocław, which is a smaller city on the Western side. Whoa. Okay. Tell us about this. I'm, I'm going to have to look this up on Google Maps just to keep up here. I'm not, <laughs> not a Poland expert. Rezesau. Rez, Is that the one? No, Rotslav. Spelled W-R-O-Claw. Roklaws, how, how it sounds when you spell it out. Rocklaw. Rock <laughs> there you go. Close enough. Okay. Okay. I may be saying Polish it wrong. Pronunciation aside. I may be saying it completely wrong. Pretty cool, man. Pretty cool. And tell and bring us through like a day in the life. What's life in Poland like for a California expat? So, I mean, I'm pretty busy these days. Like the higher UA company has grown rapidly in the last year, um, almost 10 times. Like we went from having two people to having, you know, 15 people on staff. We all just met up in person in Warsaw, the capital. So I start my days pretty early. I get out of bed usually about 5.45, try to go for a little walk, and then I do all the deep and focus work in the morning, hit the gym around 11 o'clock or so, and then in the afternoon I take all my meetings. So basically my assistant sets everything up, you know, brings everybody's questions that they may have. I answer to all my employees with what they need. And then I take, you know, whatever calls are needed. Um, I don't take many sales calls anymore. I have a, a team that does that, but I take some mm -hmm. sales calls occasionally, talk to clients and do other stuff to drive the growth of the business. And then I try to be done by four or five most days and spend some time with my new 
baby and you know hang out with some friends in the evening when it's nice and that's pretty much what my days look like now um I, <laughs> a little quieter than they used to be certainly when i was you know running a dating blog for sure quieter and not probably uh, maybe even boring you could say but i guess i'm probably at that stage of life that i certainly don't would change anything i mean sounds pretty ideal to me you know you're making money online you're you're strolling through small european plazas yeah it could be a lot pastries. worse <laughs> <laughs> do you eat bread or are you like crazy optimized i try not to touch carbs before dinner i find every time i have my lunch i get tired and i don't want to work in the afternoon so i tend to not touch any carbs at lunchtime and then for dinner you know i'll have whatever i feel like that's the problem with europe is i just want to have a baguette yeah yeah there's just on every corner there's like a sick place with like a croissant thing and i'm like ooh, i need that (laughs) yeah when you live in it though it's a little bit different like you don't have that desire you know if you're a tourist for sure you know every day you want to go out and try something new but if you're living here it's like okay that becomes that's there anytime i can get whatever i want so it's not one of those things you always you know want to be doing that and tell us about uh the growth of the business so hire you way is the business. Yeah. Tell us about this. Yeah, so it was a recruiting agency. Basically, um, we are really disrupting the traditional outsourcing markets from India and the Philippines. And the goal is basically to replace you know, those traditional places um, with Ukrainian talent. And the people out there are extremely good. And we're in a situation now, obviously, with the war going on, that a lot of them are looking for good opportunities to work online and make money online. Like, you know, everyone I think that's listening to this podcast probably is aspiring to or does already. Mm -hmm. So that's basically, um, was able to really, I rebranded it last year. Um, I split off with a business partner and just went all in on it because I knew it had that potential. And since then we basically, you know, 10 X and grown rapidly and the growth does not seem to be slowing down. So it's been, really cool um probably the most rewarding business i've done because we've been able to one help a lot of people in ukraine obviously where i was living and i have my opinions about the war but the people are the innocent ones that are just you know getting the the shit for all the stuff the politicians are doing and then on top of that we get to help western businesses who since covid have pretty much had a hard time hiring where minimum mm-hmm. wage goes up all the time where people are just so entitled with everything that they want to do so it's been really cool to say hey we get to help a good person who needs it get a good job and we get to help a business owner who's also trying to make it get a good person and get the help that they need without having to deal with all the nonsense of hiring somebody from the states Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and do you find um the businesses are in particular industries or do you train for specific tasks We've done pretty much, I mean, a huge variety of stuff. Our bread and butter is definitely like agencies of various types, whether that be marketing, copywriting, um, email marketing, it just pretty much anything. But we've also worked with IT companies. We've done architect placements. So we put people into architect firms. Um, we've done some AI stuff. So we're pretty multifaceted and can find pretty much anyone for any position. But I would say definitely the, the agency model is kind of our bread and butter at the moment. Okay. And do you have a pitch for the agency specifically about how they can, um, you know, make more money and everything by working with you guys? Well, the ultimate goal that I think a lot of small business owners end up in is that they end up in this cycle of just working nonstop and they, they work hard because that's what it takes to get the business off the ground. But eventually they need to start taking some of that time back and working a little bit smarter. But that's where it's very difficult for a business owner to start being able to trust somebody to take tasks off their plate and to put somebody else into their business, which is their, it's their baby that they built. Right. So it's very difficult for them to do that. And I think there is a huge stigma and it's not undeserved with a lot of the traditional outsourcing hubs like the Philippines, like India, because people are so fed up of, you know, every time they call their bank, they, it takes them an hour to make the most simple request because of the low quality of caliber that's sitting in that call center on the other side of the world. So we've found that the Ukrainians are really sharp. They're good at solving their own problems. They think independently. So it is a much different mindset, much different offer than the traditional outsourcing market. So our pitch is really just like, we can put someone who's a lot better than what you've used before overseas and they're going to be like 80% cheaper than hiring in the States. And that's, it's just the truth. So it's the pitch really just kind of speaks for itself. 
Yeah, yeah, very cool. And uh, guys, by the way, if you do uh, reach out to Kyle and mention My Latin Life, you're going to be treated well. So I highly suggest you get in contact with this company and uh, you know take your agency to the next level. Yep, just put his name in the book and form. We'll take care of the rest. And that's the thing too. It's like you don't, after the sales process, you're only going to work with Ukrainians, really. Um, I'm not very involved in the fulfillment anymore because I've been able to build it all out. So my team is phenomenal and they handle just every little detail of all of our clients, which is really cool to see. <laughs> right. They try and get in contact with you and it's like, it's like, no, it's all been automated. <laughs> they, they handle a lot, man. They're really good. <laughs> Hey guys, quick break from the episode to tell you about BitRefill. BitRefill allows you to shop online and in person without banks, converting your crypto directly into merchant balance. We're talking gift cards to Nike, Amazon, Apple, Airbnb, Hotels.com, and many more, all paid for with crypto. BitRefill offers more than 10,000 gift card options in 180 countries, including the USA, Canada, all across Latin America, including Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, Argentina, El Salvador, and many more. You can also apply the code MyLatinLife at checkout to get 10% back on your first purchase. Go to bitrefill.com for more information. I have a random question about payments for people from the Ukraine. Where do you, where do you pay them out to? Is it to the Ukraine or to somewhere in Europe? You know what I mean? It varies from candidate to candidate, man, because they've just moved all over the place. So I, this is like the one part of the business I haven't been able to totally outsource. I got myself out of probably 90% of the work, but yeah, like making those payments sometimes is a real pain in the ass because they're just all over the place, different currencies. Um, it sucks, but it's just part of it. Um, obviously, that's part of what we do is make sure the candidates are well taken care of and make sure that they're getting what they need and given the circumstances that's it is what it is mm -hmm. and so do you have team members kind of like where where are they based kind of crazy because i imagine people went everywhere right georgia kazakhstan poland uh everywhere yeah off the top of my head i've got uh, my executive assistant lives in poland my social media manager lives in poland i've got two team members that live in the netherlands um, one in Switzerland, a couple in Spain, um, a couple still in Ukraine. It's just all over the place. Um, there's really no other way around that. People kind of just went where they knew somebody or where they maybe had family already. So everyone kind of just migrated where it made sense to them. And that's kind of just how it's ended up. And, you know, not dissimilar to myself and my family, you know, we went back to the United States for a year, um, and then moved out to Poland. So you kind of just people, you know, go through a situation like that and you just, they, you just figure it out. And for you, that was quite a, um, a situation where you, I think you had a couple options and you even reached out to me, I think a couple times asking a bit about Latin America or just, you weren't sure what to do next when you were taking that year off in California or just assessing options. Yeah. Um, oh, we just decided to go home, um, to where my family was just to be close because my wife was pregnant at the time. So we're like, okay, like, you know, when this kid comes, we were going to want to have some help, have some people close by. And then, um, unfortunately, like three weeks after we had relocated to California, my mom got diagnosed with cancer. So it made sense, obviously, just to stay in the area for the time being at that point. Um, so that was kind of what happened. But yeah, it was certainly not a, a great experience having to uproot everything, you know, with pretty much very little warning and just having to leave everything behind. But you know, it's one of those stories that it's it's interesting to tell for sure. I, I don't wish it upon anybody, but it certainly yeah, it makes you a stronger person. That's for sure. Do you think your background as a as a nomad contributed to um, things going smoother than they would have otherwise? Because maybe you were already like, oh, yeah, multiple <clears throat> jurisdictions, bank accounts, all this stuff. You mean like in the very moment when the war kicked off and it was like, oh shit, we got to get out of here? Or you mean just kind of the fallout of needing to relocate? Yeah, I guess a bit of both. I mean, that was definitely the uh, the, the original event and then, you know, in the wake after that. Yeah, I mean, the original event, there's nothing that anything will prepare you for something like that where you're just like, I have to you know, basically just get the hell out of this country. Now, no amount of being nomadic or anything of the sort <laughs> would help with that situation. That was just pure adrenaline. Like I didn't sleep for three days. Um, 
nothing with my background with that would have would have helped at all. So after that, I would say, you know, when we decided to end up going to Poland um, early this year, obviously easy to start over again. It's like, oh, okay, you know, we're just moving to another country. I've already done this a half a dozen times. So like, of course, yeah, now I'm taking a kid and a dog and it's a little bit different. It's a little bit more complex. Um, it's certainly more difficult, but it's it's something that we can do. So I think the fallout from it, yeah, having moved around, having started over in a few places, knowing that I'm able to go into a new city, a new country and able to figure that kind of stuff out certainly makes it easier. I could just imagine, you're like, yeah, digital nomad stuff didn't help at all. It's like, oh, yeah, I got my microfiber towel. I got yeah, no. Like, what are some digital nomad? I got my uh, my uh, noise-canceling headphones. Yeah, I don't think any of that did any good, <laughs> <laughs> to, to be frank. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I feel like it could in some way, if you had like multiple driver's licenses, some things like that, or just, just being used to getting up and packing and moving and traveling a little bit more than the average person who, you know, I mean, it's pretty stressful to to pack a suitcase sometimes. Yeah, that was one of those things that you just throw whatever the necessities are in. Like, there's no planning. It's like, oh, there's air raid sirens going off. Like, we have to leave. And then it's like, oh, there's, you know, stuff exploding out of the sky. It's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing that can compare it to, really, for sure. Shit is crazy. And then so you move to the country next door. Yeah, but yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> if if it goes further, then we will. Yeah, who knows what state the world's going to be in at that point, if that's the case. But I think for now, we're fine here. Um, could be famous last words. That's kind of the risk I've accepted for the time being. I think given what's happened over the last year or so in the war, it doesn't seem like anything is... This is just going to be another one of those forever it's wars. It's all right. That, I, you don't yeah. need to make a prediction. It's uh, <laughs> stated, I guess. But you're just, you're just a committed Europe guy now. I feel like you're all about the Europe, man. I am. And it's, it's just difficult once you start having a family and stuff, like you've kind of got to think of them and you've got to think about, you know, where the language skills lie. It's like, it would not be necessarily a piece of cake to just go to Mexico and resettle with a family. You know, there's, there's a big gap between doing that in Poland for me or doing that in Mexico. But if you flip it around and I went to Mexico and had a, a Mexican child with a Mexican wife, like that would be a pretty, Oh, let's go to Poland. And you know, she'd probably look at me like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, no way. So a lot of that, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, but it's funny. It's crazy after, how life um, shakes out, you know, it is after the, we left though, um, the war and I was still like really into the news. I was like, Oh God, the world's going to end. I told her, I was like, I think we should just go to Paraguay or Uruguay and live in the countryside <laughs> and like on a ranch with barely any internet. I'm like, we should just go move out there. And I, I thought about it a few times and then I kind of was like, okay, you know, maybe this is a emotional reaction after what just happened, but it crossed my mind. That's mad funny. <laughs> that makes me laugh. Cause I mean, that's what, that's how they tout it. And I feel like it's not good marketing for Uruguay either. It's like best place if nuclear war. It's like, I feel like there's like, I don't know. I don't know. That's don't not know a good selling point, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, you're quick. I don't know. But you found, uh, you found Solus in Poland. It's good. I mean, all your, our random question, are all your clients for the most part, the businesses, is it American businesses or European businesses? I would say 90% American and then the rest would be like UK. It's interesting because you're basically bridging the gap between American businesses and European tech talent. Yeah, but it's a lot more than tech talent. I mean, we do tech, but yeah, we are basically that bridge between them for sure. Pretty cool. And then your whole team is European and you're just like the one American guy that just knows the American system and how to sell to Americans and and like makes the whole operation work. Yeah, the sales team is also American because we don't place sales positions. I think it's um, very, very difficult for foreigners to do a closing type of role. So we don't do that. So the sales team is American. And then everyone else, though, on the fulfillment and marketing side is all Ukrainian. So um, like I said, I put the money where the mouth is because they do a really good job. Yeah, yeah, that's super cool. Um, well, who's like your ideal client for this? Because it, it, it I think this is... Um, 
I think this is a thing that a lot of businesses need, but they don't know they need. Ideal client. So here's the thing. It's one of those situations where like when people are coaching others how to make money online, it's a lot, lot harder to take someone from zero to $1,000 than it is to take someone from say $10,000 to $100,000. So as much as people who are beginning their business and let's say they're making five, 10K a month, they're actually not our ideal client. We will turn them away in a lot of cases because we prefer established businesses with processes who have had hiring success before. Um, we're starting to build out some offers for newer businesses where we're going to come in and we're going to like look at your business, we're going to audit the founder's time, we're going to build out your processes, your procedures, and then actually integrate somebody into your business. But overall, it's a lot easier to have success and it's a lot easier to sell to people who are already making money and already successful. And this is true in almost any industry. It's not just like my company. It's almost anywhere. It's easier to sell with people who already have money. Mm -hmm. Definitely makes sense. And how do you kind of evaluate of people that are making money? Like what, um, what, you know, what I just ask them. Yeah. I just ask them, yeah, on the sales call, I just say, how much money are you making? And a lot of times, like people will waffle about it. They'll say, like, oh, I made 30K. And I say, how much did you make last month? And they're like, oh, eight. I'm like, when did you make 30K? Like, Nine months ago. I'm like, so you made 7K last month. They're like, yeah. I'm like, what did you make the month before that? Oh, eight. So you really have to sometimes grill into people on like a sales call and figure out what they're telling the truth about. And then, of course, you also just ask, like, you know, how many clients do you have? You know, how many clients is this revenue spread across? Because the last case we want is where somebody's making like, 10k a month but it's across two clients and they lose one client the first thing they're going to do is obviously cut one of our people so we try to avoid that situation when we can mm -hmm. what do you do about clashes in company culture well there's always going to be a gap obviously between an american and a westerner so we try to basically screen and filter for people who already have western business experience ideally strong levels of english and who kind of just get it and my team is basically trained to look out for those kind of attributes in people. And then, of course, we also, you know, try to bridge that gap with the language and the culture. There's many cases where somebody simply getting on a call with one of my team members and having their candidate speak to one of my team members in Ukrainian can clear up what was a major issue. And it's like, oh, it's just a very simple misunderstanding. Um, that some simple translation, someone else kind of having some context can help alleviate. So that's kind of what we do. But at the end of the day, you know, it is still a cultural gap. And I think what a lot of founders and business owners struggle with is there's also going to be a gap between your employee and you. So like no one's ever going to replace you. It's unlikely that you can ever hire somebody to do a job as good as you. The goal should be to get someone to do 80% as good as you because then you get all the time back. So even if they're not as good, you make that trade every time um, because a lot of people don't have any concept of how much money they're actually worth. Like what is their hourly rate? You know, you have people that are making a million dollars in their business who are still doing tasks that they can outsource for $10 an hour, which is just silly. Mm -hmm. No, it definitely makes sense. I think, um, like you said, it's, you know, it's tough when it's a, your baby, it's hard to give up the rain sometimes. Or, mm -hmm. or maybe people just think that certain tasks aren't automatable and maybe are, do you try to show people a path towards automating things that they didn't realize were outsourced and automatable? I mean, honestly, I say if you can automate it before you delegate it, like software is more reliable than humans, um, no matter what human it is. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think it definitely, if there's something that can be automated, it makes sense to do that. But it, it really just depends like, on the business it's everything's going to be very specific mm -hmm. do you have any good stories about culture clash not really that i should share <laughs> okay. client candidates no i can't go into all that <laughs> okay yeah it makes sense Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Quick break from the podcast to tell you about language blend the best new way to learn spanish Language Blend was co-founded by Jake Nomada, friend of the podcast, decade of experience in Latin America, and Jake and his team, they put everything into this program that they wish they had in terms of how to level up quickly with your Spanish language skills. Because the faster that you can get conversationally fluent in Spanish, the better the experience that you're going to have in Latin America. So go to languageblend.com for more information.
I have a random question for you. What well, you have the gold uh gold check on Twitter. I How do. did you get that? What's that about? Not so many people have that these days. That is for spending a thousand dollars a month or more on Twitter ads. Really? Yep. But and dude, it's Twitter also ads for organizations? Ah, uh, dude, there's so much keeps changing. No, I think <laughs> you can pay to verify your org. Right. And that's also a thousand dollars a month. And then you get your company's icon with a blue check. Got it. I think. So dude, yours so is like, it's like a big changed. spender check. Yeah. I'm a baller. That's what it is. It's a baller be- check. Because between the the baller check, the the yellow check gold check and the uh square profile photo that you're rocking you're definitely trying to stand out honestly man the ads have gotten like <sighs> twitter's so whack right now it really is like the ads were doing so well and now it's just like sometimes they work sometimes they don't it's it's maddening to track like i don't I, i'd be curious your thoughts on this too like where the fuck is twitter going like truly, what is this rebrand? What is the purpose? Maybe there's something behind it all, but I don't see it, to be honest. I've heard you mention, and this is something uh, I wanted to bring up with you, is that your reach, you feel like your reach is um, kind of diminished because you have just about 26,000 followers and sometimes you don't get too, too much, uh, engagement or I I don't see your stuff sometimes. And I've seen you do like testing tweets and, um, it, it's crazy. I mean, um, uh, how they can sort of silo you. Yeah. I think, I mean, my gut feeling at first was like, I was pretty political about all the COVID stuff. And I feel like my account definitely got neutered at some point there. And then I kind of went through a rebrand of talking about dating and moving abroad, those kind of things to what I'm talking about now, which is a lot drier. You know, it's hiring, outsourcing, operation systems. At the same time, it is so atrociously bad now. Um, I've had multiple people look at it. No one's really been able to figure it out. So it's just one of those things. We We still book a lot of calls from Twitter, so I keep doing it. But it certainly is maddening sometimes when you're like, Oh, I have twenty six thousand followers, and you know the algorithm showed this to like a hundred of them. It's like what the you know what is going on? But I think one of those things is that a lot of people on Twitter are just in engagement groups. Like everyone who pitches ghostwriting and all the other services, like they are just they're putting you in groups of people that they pay to engage with your stuff, and that's really how you grow now. Is pretty much just it's pay for play. I've never once paid for a retweet or been part of like an engagement group. That's good. Yeah, and yours looks good, man. Yeah, you get you have some engagement, so good for you. Even still, I feel that sometimes I am who built like a completely organic audience. Sometimes I f- I still feel like I'm getting the same level of activity on a given tweet that I was getting maybe like six months ago or a year ago when I had less than 10,000 followers. See, that's just it, man. And if you want to, like, I don't know, rewind all the way back to say like 2018, like stuff would just pop all the time. You could say anything remotely (laughs) controversial and you would be flying. And now it's just like, nobody sees it. I think it's just maybe that your follower account matters a little less or something because, yeah, I mean, even smaller accounts in my niche talking about, you know, sovereignty and, and internationalization stuff, people with only like three, 4,000 followers will say like the exact same thing I'm saying. And sometimes theirs will just blow up and get, you know, 20 retweets and, you know, 100 plus. You have to look at the who retweeted it though because if you look at it it's really easy to see if it's been paid yeah yeah i suppose yeah i don't know man i think it's all about the algo now you want to be on that stupid like for you page and that's pretty (laughs) much it you want like the whole goal is like get enough engagement that you get put on that page that's like the only goal are you on are you for you or are you following i always change it to following but it always changes it back (laughs) <laughs> a day later i'm always back to like oh this is what we think you should see I'm like now nah, forget that 
Apparently, I'm unfollowing. I think I, if they haven't changed it, I think it's been following since for months. I haven't really thought about it till now. You got to check. Like yeah. every time you open it up on your phone, a lot of times it'll just switch it back. Yeah. And this podcast might at some point be outdated, but what we're talking about is on Twitter um, how there are for you and following tabs in terms of the, the timeline. So the for you probably has more, you know, non people you don't follow, obviously, that they're just suggesting content and memes and stuff. Um, yeah, I think that's how it was kind of on, on Instagram too. You know what I mean? The only way to grow is if you show up in that discover section. Pretty much. It's all about the algo, man. It's all about what the algorithm thinks that people should see. And are you trying to keep up with that and adjust um, the type of content that you make? Because I did see recently that you started doing, you know, some short form videos and and that kind of thing. I would say like for the business that I'm running now, I'm really only concerned about driving booked calls and that's really like the primary concern. So yeah, I started expanding out to other channels, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. And so it's made sense just to repurpose all those same shorts onto Twitter. Um, no sense in making it in not using them on that platform as well. I think too, there's a decent chance that Twitter is going to end up using some sort of, I think it's going to become more video centric. I think the world in general has become more video centric, so I could see it going that way. Um, and I think Elon's tweeted a few things about the improvements that they've made there. So I could see mm-hmm. a world where Twitter becomes more, more video centered. For yeah, sure. Sadly. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be more multimedia in general. And I try to, I try to mix it up like with my tweets. Like I have some that are text only. I have some that are, maps or charts i have some that are you know quote tweets and if you look at my timeline um you know there there's barely ever three tweets in a row of the same type like it's always kind of a mix of formats and i think that's probably one way to get in front of it i guess is just to mix it up and kind of see what works mm-hmm. yeah no your profile looks good man i think it's better than mine <laughs> good photos everything looks good well, my my niche is just photogenic and easy. I feel yeah, um, and just so wide ranging. Whereas, I it's harder to be. Um, I don't know what these ghostwriters and stuff even tweet about. It's so hard because there's nothing, there's not too much there, like of substance. Sometimes I feel like to, so yeah, they just tweet about why hard work is important and stuff. Where I don't have to do that. Yeah, you can just post photos of nice beaches and pretty girls. Yeah, and we don't even and we do it without the girls on purpose. Why do you do it without the girls? Because, you know. What is this nonsense? (laughs) You know this. (laughs) You know this. I do. I'm very proud of what we've done with without talking about dating uh, almost at all. Yeah. That's not, you're not like Jake. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a whole country after him some days, I swear, man. Yeah. It'll never get old. (laughs) No, it will not. Yeah, I think, I mean, <laughs> I I think uh, talking about Twitter is actually kind of a, a fun thing for this episode because you've been doing it for longer than I have. You, it says you've had your current account since 2013. So you've gone and, and seen it through a lot of transitions and you've probably seen a lot of people come and go. And Yeah, I mean, geez, well, if I start really thinking back, you know, the whole like Manosphere and Red Pill stuff, like the amount of people that had Manosphere dating blogs that are just vanished off the face of the earth now is just astonishing really? and same thing with the money twitter stuff like you have so many people who are just throwing whatever scam with drop shipping or selling fidget spinners or anything else like in 2017 2018 they're all just vanished and then of course some <laughs> of them actually was that a thing? people and- sold fidget spinners on twitter Dude, there were so many freaking courses about drop shipping and like go find a cool product off of AliExpress. Right. Like, you know, fidget spinners or whatever other <laughs> garbage from China. It just was never ending the bombardment of, oh, but get my get my course, get my course. That's cool. Who are who are some of your all-time faves in terms of accounts on Twitter? I don't even know, man. I'd have to really sit down and think about that. I don't have an answer for that. That's a hard one. I noticed you were um, engaging G-Manifesto. a lot with, with G Manifesto. 
You don't remember that one? Dude, I'm I'm like very new to this, relatively speaking. Oh man, he wrote a he wrote just this hilarious blog. He was a poster on the Rouge forum and he had just this brilliant Twitter account. It might even still be up. Let me see. I found an account called G Manifesto Classics, and I think it's a bot that just yep, retweets that 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 would be right. Yeah, that's that's what his uh yeah. The, these did are, this these guy are invent Village by the Sea? Oh, yeah. This is where it came from, dude. Tell me this. Tell me about this. He, Dude, just go read all those posts. Like, he invented Village by the Sea, like, machete, the whole, ma, you know, machete thing. Uh, what just else? The machete thing. I don't know. You're just always talking about having a machete, pounding, <laughs> like, you know, 10 drinks a night or more. Um, all sorts of stuff, man. He was in... Yeah, he was good. Yeah, no, this seems this seems interesting. I'm surprised I haven't seen this before. But people people say shit like "Village by the Sea" all the time to me. Dude, he memed it into existence. He memed it into existence. Oh yeah, no, that's that. It all started with him for sure. Wow, and was it primarily a blog or primarily a Twitter? I think it was primarily a Roosh account, a Roosh okay. forum account. And then he had a blog and he had a Twitter. And I think over time he became more active on the social medias, but he never sold a thing. Like not once did I ever see him actually pitch anything. So he was always saying like, I'm a wealthy guy. I live in my village by the sea. I go in the <laughs> salt water and do ocean sunrise swims or sea swims. Like, oh, you know, soaks yep. in the sun. Um, yep. The whole like smoking cigarettes is good for you. <laughs> Nicotine, like this was all from him, man. It's like the, the original crypto buried treasure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is yeah. Good. So I I'd probably put him up as one of my favorites for sure. And who who would have influenced this guy? Where where would have this guy gotten his <laughs> his swag from? Probably the the Rouge Forum. I'm guessing that's the only place that place back in the early mid 2000s was just absolutely popping and who just is, so who many is michael people. porfirio is that the name of yeah that was the name he went by his name g michael manifesto. the g manifesto yeah okay well like even um like wall street or wall street playboys bowtie bull now that guy originally was on the roosh forum pretty sure he was just yeah. a poster on the roosh forum oh yeah grew into something way more. I remember a few people like, oh yeah, yeah, like the guy on the forum, that's that's the Wall Street Playboys blog. Like people, that was like a little underground knowledge a few people knew about. Mm, yeah, I can believe it. I can see it. What about Atlas? I noticed you've been uh, retweeting Atlas just a lot in the past day or two. No, he's a cool guy, man. We've been just talking. I don't really know him too well, but we've kind of started talking recently. So yeah, he's a good guy. He's been around a long time. <laughs> yeah, he has. Same thing like, you know, all the old dating stuff, Manosphere, Red Pill. So he he's known me for a while, actually. But, um, you know, way back in the day, it was like, geez, like Bold and Determined. You remember that? Uh, it was kind of before my time. I didn't really before know about time. it. And okay. um, uh, it's I've 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 cemented in history of not knowing who that was when Dylan Madden brought it up on our podcast together. Really? Okay. Yeah, because he worked for him or something. I think you mentioned yeah. it too on the first one, and I was like, I have no idea. Like, Vic, you, I think you mentioned you time, me like I'm thinking on the first episode you mentioned Victor Pride and yeah. Bold and Determined, and so I'm kind of like putting together the pieces. Maybe some of the audiences too, because maybe they're younger or whatever, and uh -huh. we're putting together get together the pieces of like who's you know who's been around a while, who's new. Oh, okay. Let me give you like a brief history then. So it's like the game Neil Strauss 2006, whatever that yep, was, yep, spawns off a bunch of people. Roosh comes around. He starts as like DC Bachelor, puts out his real name, Roosh, writes the forum, or starts the forum. Tons of people. That was like the first original, I think, anonymous hangout where people could go to get travel advice about where to go, where to pick up girls. It all goes to Twitter. The Manosphere starts. There's so also you think like it kinda... went to Twitter when the forum closed <clears throat> down? No, no, no. They were up simultaneously. So I think okay. Twitter okay. got traction maybe 2012. Like all the blogs on the Manosphere started going to Twitter, making accounts there. A lot of networking, a lot of people just would meet. Everyone is still very much anonymous at the time. Then around 2015, 2016, I would say it was like Christian McQueen got big 
where he started talking, going from dating to then make money online. That kind of spawned That's off the money 21 Twitter. Guy? Or the Who? 21 conference guy or no? No, that's Anthony Johnson. Christian McQueen was like, uh, he was like the alpha playboy, I think is the book that he wrote. Okay. And then from there, that kind of spawned into money Twitter. I know that McQueen at one point was hanging out with like Andrew Tate. And then Tate kind of started around the same time, like money Twitter really took off and he kind of really took over that whole niche. And then money Twitter became like from dropshipping um, selling Chinese stuff. Then it was like, I got niche sites going, affiliate marketing, and I sold some materials around that for a while. Then it was, everybody's going to start a Facebook ads agency. And then there was like sovereign lifestyle. When COVID hit, everyone's like going to get multiple passports, bank accounts, et cetera. And now it's like, start your own social media agency on, yeah, that's like the the pitch on money Twitter now. Oh, and be a closer, be a high ticket closer. That's the other hot one right now. Yep, that one's pretty hot right now. So that came up quick. That one came up quick. Yeah. So there's your 10 year recap. That's the 10 year recap. That's the 10 year, very simple recap of things, I think. <laughs> and I'm just like, where's RSD Julian and all this? Because that was. <laughs> they were just never on Twitter. They were on I the, I think, similar timeline, but on video media. They're just in their own lane, right? Like, none of those guys were on uh, the forums, really. No, they all just had their own blogs. And if, if it was such a different world, it was like there were people that did video and there were people who wrote. And there were very two specific lanes with that. And I think like RSD didn't really cross so much into that writing phase. They were just doing materials, infields, those kind of... Uh, there's something to be said about the written word, though. I mean, t- it stands the test of time. Yeah, we'll see though. Maybe not in a few years. People don't read anymore. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Just want to watch. What about Mark Zolo? Do you remember him? Was that uh, was he big for you? Oh yeah, I met him in uh, Ukraine. Did you a few years ago? Yeah, yeah, he's a cool guy. Yeah, I met him in uh, Malta a couple months ago. Okay, yeah, he did it right. He's got a he's got a good setup there, so he did it right. Hmm. Does he still well, run his site even? Uh, it it's like back and forth in terms of being up, not being up. He was down to have it up, but like someone keep kept hacking him or something. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's on now. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's it's been a, a wild ride, so to speak. I've I've seen a lot of it. Oh, and a lot of people come and go, that's for sure. A lot, a lot more people who have come and gone than who have stayed. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, quick interruption to tell you about bit refill. BitRefill is the best way to convert your crypto into gift card balances. These are gift cards that you can spend at Hotels.com, Airbnb, Nike, and many more. You may remember Joel Valenzuela, previous podcast guest. He's been living on crypto exclusively since 2015, and he's a big consumer of BitRefill. And so I asked Joel, I said, what do you like most about BitRefill? He said that he likes the instant delivery, the precise amount so that you don't have to juggle a lot of gift cards. And he loves the global selection. Nobody else has this much selection of gift cards, over 10,000 gift card options across hundreds of countries. Go to bitrefill.com to sign up. And you can also use the code MyLatinLife for 10% back off your first purchase. Go to bitrefill.com for more information. I, I always remember that from Gary V. Is he always said, just use your just use your real name and then, you know, you can kind of be whoever you want to be and change your, change your brand. But, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's, if, if that really, like it, it is hard because even when you have a, you know, your name is your brand, a personality brand, you still have to be kind of known for a thing and be the real estate guy or be the X, Y, Z guy. And it is kind of hard to move on to something else. It kind of just depends though. Like, everything in my case has kind of spawned off of everything I've ever done. So everything now is in Eastern Europe with my companies where we source Eastern European talent. And, you know, originally I was a guy who wrote about dating in Eastern Europe. So it always kind of spawned off of what I've done before in my case. So I think Mm. I tend, you know, there's always going to be a little bit of pain with rebranding, but like obviously with you and your business, my Latin life, you can't really just rebrand that. But if you had your (laughs) name and your face out there and you're like, I'm, so-and-so, the founder of My Latin Life, then yeah, you could pivot to something else for sure. 
but you'll lose people, right? You know, you'll have people who are like, oh, I'm just not that interested in that. Um, and then there's going to be really true fans who are like, oh, I'm I'm going to keep following this because of this guy. I just like his stuff. Do you have like, uh, I imagine at this point you have a bit of like a, a zombie follower base, like at least some proportion of it. Uh, this is kind of what I was wanted to ask you about. Like, do you try to cleanse it? Like, I know some people even kind of do like unfollowings or, or something like that and just sort of cleanse their or, or block people <laughs> or remove people from their email list if they're inactive like do you do, you do things like that or you just kind of like let it let it hang i occasionally purge my email list if they haven't opened an email in the last you know 90 days or so then i'll just send them an email to that segment and say hey you still want these emails if yes click if not you're getting deleted in a week you know something like that um, but I don't even really email the list much anymore, man. It's like a once every couple of months, very sporadic thing. So I need to get mm-hmm. back on that at some point. Very cool. Very cool. Another thing I wanted to make sure to ask you, I, I think what's sick about having an olive oil company or or anything like that, maybe it'd be like a coffee or something, is you just have like a product, you know, that you can just bring and give to your cousins or whatever, like wherever you go. Right. And it's just such a good gift when you meet people, you're like, here, and you tell them the story, like, here's the olive oil from my farm. We did it, you know, and it's just like such a, such a sick thing. Yeah. I actually send, um, bottles to a lot of our clients at hire UA and they don't <laughs> even know I have this company and it shows up, you know, my assistant will say like, what's your address? We want to send you a gift. And then it shows up with a little letter. So I was like, Oh, you know, this is from Kyle. It's, you know, a thank you from my other company based out of Eastern Europe. And then they always message me like, what the hell is this? Like, cause not, I would say that a lot of our clients don't even know me through Twitter. Like they don't know that at all. So mm. they're like, what on earth is this? Like, it's pretty cool. I mean, I bet the yeah. family back in California thinks it's cool because, I mean, you know, it's just it's just cool. It's just something. It's cool to do something physical like that and have a product. Like it I always, is. I always wanted to maybe um, buy into like a Paraguay yerba mate farm or a Mexican coffee farm or something, just to have like a physical product that I can kind of almost even if it didn't make money, it'd be worth it just for the rep. <laughs> you know, what I mean, just. Like, I think that that's the case. It's, it's a hard business. Like physical products are tough and like luxury goods are definitely tough, but you know, I've got a couple bottles of it sitting right here. Like when I film my videos or I'm on sales calls with clients, like, you know, they're right here in the background. So it's, it's cool to just have them sitting here on the desk for sure. Yeah. Like Lawrence King has a a coffee company. I think it's called Raging Bull. Raging Bull is a Raging Bull like that. Yeah. Robert De Niro. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's cool. I mean, I'm sure it makes money. He has a pretty streamlined as like a, almost like a drop shipping thing. I think, I, I don't know. He's kind of quiet about it, but he still has a coffee company. And then wherever you go, you're like, yeah, here's my coffee. This is my branding. Here's the story, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know. It's just, it's just like a cool thing. So that, that's something that's, I guess for him, it was just on his bucket list. Then he went out and did it. And, uh, yeah, def- both, both of you guys, uh, kind of ex- inspire me for sure cool yeah no it's it's tough though man that's not like a business i can recommend like building your own product from the ground up that is not like if someone asked me like should i do this i'll be like absolutely not don't do it like <laughs> do anything but that yeah i always thought like just getting in the food business in general would be pretty cool i'm not sure if you have any interests of doing other um agricultural products or get going further into the food business I came pretty close to opening a pizza by the slice shop in Ukraine. I was like scouting locations. So yeah, I've always had an interest in that. And I think one day I still would like to open a restaurant, but it's just, it's a pain. That's, that's for sure. It's just a giant pain, no matter what way you spin it. Well, you seem to have the skill set of being able to manage employees, which I think is the big, the big differentiator between people who kind of really get somewhere and people that don't i think it, it's all about people at past a certain point like once you get past like being a solopreneur or a freelancer it's all about the people and learning what makes them click and how to work with them and how to ultimately empower them to actually do the work you need them to do i think with food though my problem is going to be i hate governments and i hate paperwork and i hate bureaucracy and there is no way around health inspections fire and safety inspections mm. all of that just nonsense when I, it would just drive me off the wall 
Does the olive oil expire after a certain time? How long does it last? It'll stay good for usually about a year, I'd say. A year? About a year. Um, I think if you ask my business partner, he would be able to tell you. He's probably tested it like as long as he can and just tried it every day and made sure it was good. But um, I would say on like our bottle, say, for example, about a year and a half. Like harvested, I'm looking at one right now. Harvested November 2022, best by April 2024. So that's about a year and a half. Oh man, I uh, yeah, I I didn't know this till recently, but at least Mexicans just have no idea what olive oil is. What do they use there? Uh, just like cooking oil, like vegetable oil, vegetable I guess. oil. Yeah, yeah, because they don't they don't really use coconut oil either. Um, or any anything fancy. I think probably though their vegetable oil is a lot better than what you would get in the United States, like Maybe. canola and some of that stuff. Like Maybe. I would say out in Ukraine, they had like sunflower oil, and I would say it. I don't think it was near as bad as a lot of the stuff you'd buy in the West. No, I th- I, I like it. I like the the Mediterranean lifestyle. I was, I was just out there for a couple of months, right? I went to Sicily and uh, and Malta. And, you know, eating, I like dates, I like figs, I like olive oil and olives, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, uh, the Mexican person traveling with me had just never tried any of these things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was good. Ah, man, I, I do want to do a product company. I think that's like the uh, uh, most Don't awesome do thing it. in the world. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If you're going to do it, just try to find a good person who's already... making the product like you know in our case we it was all figured out you know the olive oil comes from the farm in croatia and it's like you know it was shipped over in a tub and we bottled the first thousand bottles by hand and had to source the bottles the corks the seals the labels like just to keep it simple you know buy your coffee beans from someone and find someone to make a nice package and ship them together and have someone put it in the package way easier than sourcing it from the ground up yeah, I can imagine the European Union's not the easiest to deal with and getting that certified to export and everything. It's a giant pain. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. Like, no, literally, I would say like, don't make a, a product like this. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. Unless you are already filthy rich and it's a passion product. I mean, at least it, it lasts a year. It's not like super fast spoiling. It's good. I had this idea. This is totally random. I'm going to get ripped off if I say this, but there's there's something called tajin in Mexico. Tajin. Do you know what this mm-hmm. is? It's like I don't. How do you spell it's like, it? It's like uh T A H I N. It's like chili salt. And you can put it on top of uh fruit, on top of you know, watermelon, mango, whatever. Um and it, it just makes it makes fruit taste crazy. But there's only like the one industrial tahin and I wanted to create like an artisanal tahin. That's a um, good idea, dude. Yeah, yeah, I know what this is. I've had it before. Yeah. I know what it is. Yeah. It's big in California. It is, uh, yeah. It's like a shark tank idea anyway. <laughs> That's a good idea. I would rip that off. Yeah. Cuz it's simple. It's only got like probably maybe five ingredients, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just yeah. It's just salt and dried artisan pepper. Artisan tahini. That's a good idea, man. Yeah, it's not bad, eh? You can put the word artisan in front of anything. Exactly, exactly. And I feel like on Shark Tank, like uh, an insane number of the pitches would be food products. I think just because it does better on TV because it's more physical and and fun and people can get their head around it. So there's all Mm -hmm. these like crazy cereals and stuff. I think though, from what I've heard, they listen to like hundreds of pitches and then only like five of them make the cut for the actual film. Yeah. Right? So it's like we don't, I don't think they actually show probably 80, 90% of the actual pitches. Yeah, no, that's, de- that's definitely true. Yeah. I was like the biggest fan for the while, for a while back in the day when it was like Damon John and, uh, uh, the early episodes. Yeah. Uh, they've been going for that. a long time now, a long time, for like probably <laughs> season 15, maybe. I don't know. Random, uh, question as we're kind of closing up so do you have a car now no no car no car no baby no car no dude i mean it's like it's europe there's like there's zero point truly it's like i can either 
get on the tram and take the tram like 12 minutes to go to the gym. I can get on a bike and go in seven minutes or I could get my car, get a car. If I had a car out of the garage and sit in 20 minutes of traffic, like it's not even up for debate. Maybe at some point, like there's some things I wish I had a car, like maybe I could just go to the, the lake or something and take the family, take the dog. It'd be a little bit easier, but day to day life, I can't really imagine enjoying it very much to be honest. That's good. That's encouraging. That's what I want out of my European experiences uh, be, to be able to have a baby and a dog and and still not need a car. It's I, there's very little point. Like I've thought about it. I've even looked, and I'm like, what am I going to buy a car for? I can drive it like once every two weeks, and it just sits in the garage the rest of the time. Like it doesn't even make any sense. If I really need it, I'll just rent one. Good. This is awesome. You're warming my heart. I'm I'm slightly anti car. <laughs> ask me if I have another kid though I might change my mind after that but it's it's difficult sometimes but people just manage man you just load the kid up in the stroller and you just carry her onto public transit that's all it is it's not hard it's just as easy as loading her into a car seat good have you become a bit of a hockey fan at all or ice skating because I have not no nope Europe hasn't done that to me, but I like soccer, football more than I ever did in the U.S., so that's maybe one sport I've kind of gotten into a little bit out here, or at least I understand it now. Good, good. Well, I'm happy for you. No car. Businesses are booming. Family yeah. safe. Name brand change. This is this is almost like the the first year of your next, your next uh, I don't know if you think about things like this, but your next five or ten year super cycle. Maybe. I mean, I would say, you know, having a kid obviously changes a lot of things, man. It, it changes the way you think about everything in life. And of course, everyone says like, oh, I'm not going to be like that. But it does. It does. It changes you. It changes your mindset, your outlook on things. So, yeah, I like to, to think the same. You know, I just turned, you know, 30 a couple of years ago and now I have a kid and, you know, got the new name brand and a whole different company. So it's the start of a, a new journey, so to speak. Well, very exciting. Definitely don't stop tweeting and uh, keeping us updated on what you're doing. For sure. Perfect. Sounds good, man. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much. Absolutely. My guest today was Kyle Mao. This has been another episode of the My Latin Life podcast. Thanks, everyone, for listening. <laughs>